Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Richard K. Morgan's 2002 post-cyberpunk novel, Altered Carbon. Now let's upload our cortical stacks and test out our new sleeves. half of altered carbon and i don't know about you james but i have a ton to say about it yeah i mean it's fascinating so far it's it's i mean it's a lot of fun it's the kind of books that i really really enjoy reading i go out of my way to find this kind of stuff it goes beyond that for me like richard k morgan just doing research into who he is and his novels and i don't uh, we'll get into it in his bio stuff but he's not only an author that i love to read but he's the kind of author i want to be (laughs) um Yeah, th- like this book is like I, when I read this book, I I had weird writer jealousy pangs of like I wanted to write a novel like this. Yeah, and it's 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 amazing, and and um I'm really impressed with it, and like I said, I have a lot to say about it, but I thought at first we'd just describe our podcast for people who might be checking it out for the first time. I'm a writer. Uh, James is a filmmaker, and we like to take projects uh, that have been adapted into film and start out with the book read the book, do a deep dive, talk about it at length, uh, normally in multiple parts. And then we watch the adaptation, right? And and talk about that. Yeah, so far we've covered like a lot of great material and, and like I'm looking forward to all the stuff coming up. We have a big stretch here of, of sci-fi, which I'm always a big fan of. So looking forward to it. Yeah, you're right. This is the first in like a series of sci-fi projects I think we're going to end up doing. So normally we take like a scene by scene, chapter by chapter breakdown and we talk about everything that happens in a, in a, in a novel, uh, and then we discuss each scene at length. Uh, that's what we like to do when we have, you know, for our longer projects. But for this one, we're going to try something a little different. It's kind of experimental. We'd love to have feedback on what you think about it. But we're going we're gonna to talk about things in the first half of this episode um, in a really non-spoilery way. Um, we're only going to reveal the kind of stuff that you would get from watching the trailer for the Netflix, Netflix series that's coming out. So general like premise of the world premise of the technology and like the major characters yeah and like kind of give our thoughts on like how we felt about this first half so far without giving all the plot details away kind of talk about the aesthetic and how we feel about the writing that kind of thing yeah and and the philosophy and the 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 tech and and i feel like there's a lot to talk about there so we'll get all into that and that's gonna be you know i mean yes there's minor spoilers there but it's all stuff you get right at the beginning of the novel so if you're if you're listening to this to try and decide if you want to read this novel the first half is going to be really good for that um which by the way i think you should uh i don't know if we've made that clear but i really like this novel i think um the best way to experience it is to go read it maybe use our audible link to listen to it um like we did and then and then you can listen to this podcast but that's up to you you know it's your decision yeah as far as um basically what we're trying to say is the first half is going to be non-spoiler so you can check it out and kind of get our thoughts on it without spoiling the show for you 
And then right. the second half, I think we're going to dive more into kind of spoiler territory because it is a mystery and we're going to get to what has unfolded so far briefly. Yeah, uh, the second half, we're going to we're going to dive into his investigation of this mystery and we're going to talk about our we're going to we're going to try and theorize on what we think is going to happen in the second half of the novel, which we haven't read. So we haven't read the whole novel. We've only read half of it. Um, neither of us. And so um, that's something we normally talk about, but like I have no experience with Richard K. Morgan uh, up to this point, and I assume you don't either, right, James? No, I've never read anything of his. Yeah, so we're we're completely new to this, which isn't always the case. Um, but yeah, that's how we're gonna do this episode. So uh, you're safe for uh, you know only only minor spoilers in this first half. So before we get to that, I want to talk about Richard K. Morgan, the man, the author the legend. <laughs> um, I, I did some research on him and there's some interesting things out there. I mean, he's, he's pretty young. I think he's in his fifties. Um, so he's an active guy right now in the industry. He has a little essay on his website that you can read that, that I'm going to talk about some of the highlights from, but if you want to read it yourself, I recommend it. He was basically, he admits like he was born into privilege, um, in, in England and attended college and, and was just kind of your regular bright but lazy kind of student. He got involved in some drug use, but just like minor, just like dope and stuff. Um, and he also had like a big relationship, th- you know, thing that th- made him all like uh, emo. And, and he kind of talks about it in funny ways about how that kind of derailed him for a little while. And he thought he was never going to get over it. And then um, he ended up graduating. And he didn't even say what his degree was, but he said it was like kind of inconsequential and then after his undergraduate uh he decided he wanted to be a writer and he wanted to travel was his like two passions in life and he moved to london where he was quickly like disabused of the idea that that is something that is particularly unique or special that everybody wants to be a writer and like when as soon as he got to london he found that out um and that's something you know all writers i think go through a little bit i know i have um and then from there, he started teaching uh, English as a foreign language. And, he, and through that, he traveled the world and he lived in places like Istanbul and Madrid and Glasgow. And he went to all these different places, lived in them for a few years, teaching English. And all that time he was writing and he wrote a bunch of short stories and a screenplay and all this stuff, but he couldn't sell it. No, he couldn't publish anything. And then, and then that all changed when he wrote uh, Altered Carbon in 2002 or right before that. It's, I mean, it's pretty interesting. He's kind of leading this, like, he's gone down a different path than a lot of the other authors, I feel like, that we've talked about so far. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, everybody's different, you know, everybody's got a different path, but his one resonates with me because, like, you know, I, 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 I get this. And, and so anyway, he wrote Altered Carbon and it, he sold it to a publisher and then immediately sold the movie rights to it for a reported million dollars, which, is a pretty amazing, that's a pretty amazing deal. Um, and that's, that's the kind of stuff that like dreams are made of right there. And then, so he, he was able to, to, to quit his day job and, and works as a full-time writer. Since then, he's, he's written a bunch of novels, a few more in this series, which I'm kind of hoping, you know, if this, if this next Netflix 10 episode run is a success, maybe we'll see like book two will be season two or something. Who knows? We can get to that for the, for the movie episode or the show episode. Yeah, but then he also writes um, dark fantasy. He has a series of dark fantasy novels, which if you know me, you know I love fantasy. So this is another reason why I'm kind of jealous of his career. Like I want this career because he's able to write write both sci-fi and fantasy, which is something I want to be able to do. 
and he has sold he has sold the rights to another of his novels, a standalone novel. Um, but this is the first time that one of his novels is like hitting the screen. So it'll be interesting to see because sometimes you know if if it's successful, Hollywood all of a sudden will start buying up books, right? Yeah. And another interesting note about him: first off, uh, also this novel won the Philip K. Dick Award, which I thought was a nice little bit of symmetry because we we covered Blade Runner earlier, and for this novel to win that award is kind of funny. In my opinion, there's a lot of parallels with Blade Runner. Well, I guess Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was Philip K. Dick's novel. So there's a lot of parallels between the two here. And I'm sure we'll get more into that. But is it just a thing to have K as your middle middle initial when you're a sci-fi writer? Is that like (laughs) an unwritten rule? Maybe. Maybe I need to add a K in there. People always joke about RR for fantasy. Like if you're a fantasy writer, it's, it's, you know, George RR Martin, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe Philip K. Dick, Richard K. Morgan. Make your middle initials RKR. Yeah, there you go. Luke RKR Elliot. (laughs) I like it. Um, So uh, he's also won the Arthur C. Clarke Award and the John W. Campbell Award, which is another nice bit of symmetry for our podcast because we cover John W. Campbell's uh, Who Goes There uh, for the Thing episodes. And then recently, he's written uh, some some comics for under the Marvel Knights imprint, uh, specifically Black Widow: Homecoming, and Black Widow: The Things They Say About Her. And I know you're a big comics guy. Have you have you read any of that? No, I haven't. I haven't read either okay. of those. But it's cool that he's done that, diversifying. And then he's also the lead writer for the 2011 video game Crisis Two. Nice. Which I don't know if you remember that game. I but, remember um, Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's you know writing comics, writing video. He's the lead writer for a video game. Um, yeah, I think he's working on another video game. He writes novels in both sci-fi and fantasy. I'm I'm telling you, this guy's career is the career I want. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like this is, it, it's yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So I, I'm jealous of Richard K. Morgan, and he's a, he's a great writer too. Which I I think we're ready to get into the novel now, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that particularly like the fact that he was like from what I gather he was somewhat like not officially trained in, in writing and it seems like he has a pretty good grasp on it. He has his own voice. That's like pretty distinct. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, he might've studied English. I'm not really sure. And then, you know, English as a foreign language forces, if you're teaching English, you're going to, you're going to be around words and language. And so I think over those 14 years he worked doing that, I think he, he probably conditioned himself and taught himself yeah. uh, to be the writer that he is. So not only is, Richard K. Morgan, you know, someone who I, I really admire just from, from already. But this novel, um, and this isn't going to be the experience for everyone, but this novel feels like a laser-guided missile aimed at me. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Like, I'm like, this novel is made for me. And 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 I almost feel guilty about it because I, I know that someone else might not have the same experience. Yeah. But, you know, someone who is skeptical about religion someone who is really into future tech and futurism, someone who is kind of uh, can be nihilistic at times or, or just a little bit uh, more interested in like uh, grim writing and, 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 and I don't know that like stylized future stuff is really cool to me and just like everything about this novel. And then just the idea of popping in and out of bodies and, and, and you know, this like tech soul that this book is about. It's just really cool, and it just, I mean, it, it hits home in, like, the best possible way for me. I mentioned earlier that it, it kind of reminds me of Blade Runner, and 
or oh, absolutely. do androids dream of electric sheep and i'm sure it's super inspired by that because i'm sure oh, yeah. he he loves that film but something it felt it feels much more tight as a story compared as compared to do androids dream of electric sheep and it's also like it's got this like perfect plot where it's like um yeah there are fun interesting action beats there are times that let you breathe there are philosophical moments there are religious like um inquiries kind of they're just thinking about like what what would happen in these future times but like so all of it is so believable to me like all of it seems like a natural progression of technology through the like what we can see projected across however many what 100 years 200 years and um we'll get more into the actual tech, but like something that I was thought was fascinating was the idea of, of the, the uploading your digital consciousness and how that can travel almost instantaneously versus physical matter to, to transport that across large like distances. Like it's, that's like the ultimate thing to crack is, is sending a physical thing faster than light speed. Like, will we ever crack that? Will that ever be feasible? I don't know. It's wild. Yeah. That it's definitely super theoretical. That's that stuff that goes on and, and, I'm not really sure the science behind it, um, but it's really interesting, and it, it raises a lot of philosophical questions, which I find more interesting. Um, but before we get into that, yeah, I mean, this novel is described as a post-cyberpunk novel, whereas Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is almost a proto-cyberpunk novel. So we've kind of come around, and, and, and I think the main difference from what I understand is that in post-cyberpunk novels, the, the future described tends to be a lot more connected maybe a little bit less dystopian and a little bit more of a functioning society. And we, I do think we get that here. Like this is a society. This is a, you know, spanning multiple worlds. Um, You could look at it as grim and like kind of dark in certain ways, but it's not dystopian. You know what I mean? Like it's not, the world hasn't really ended or anything. Right. It's ongoing. And so that is a market difference. I think in, in a lot of, that kind of fiction and you know do androids dream of electric sheep i think is 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 more like apocalyptic almost definitely but yeah let's get into specifics let's talk about i mean we've talked a lot about the tech but i think we need to like establish that for people who haven't read this book and haven't maybe even seen the trailer you need to know what this tech is this is again going to be our our lights very very light spoilers just kind of talk it through and tell you the the basis of this story right all right, so you're gonna you're gonna help me with this, James. Yeah, let's do this um, because I want to make sure I get. The, there's a lot of details. There's a lot that gets thrown at you very early in this novel. Yeah, it's it's dense. Yeah, so when you first meet Takashi Kovacs, which is our main character, he is with another woman named Sarah, and they get killed in the first in the opening prologue. Now that's in the opening prologue. Um, so, like I said, light spoiler, but literally this is the first thing you'll read about when you pick up the book, and. But they're not really, you know, he's not really dead. And that's the whole premise of the book. So what happens is in this world, there's a tech that enables your consciousness to get transferred from body to body. And it's that piece of tech that goes into like the base of your skull called a cortical stack, right? Right. And so they are able to take that, his stack out of that dead body and put it into some sort of storage. And then he gets shipped to earth and... I'm not really sure as to the reasons why. I'm not sure that he really understands them. Um, did you quite get why he in particular is just like, does Bancroft just choose him? Uh, why is he in particular brought to Earth? I won't get too spoiler heavy, but basically I think from the context clues that we get after the fact, they put they kind of push this all on us and then expect us to play catch up. 
So right. what we kind of figure out is that he is like this ex-soldier who is brought up in this military army that where they get like cybernetic the en- envoys. Or, yes. Right. Envoy yeah. is it was what it's called. It's like envoy. So they're basically just like military special forces kind of, and they get th- these like enhancements, whether it's like reaction time or combat or whatever it is. They have all these different enhancements, so that makes him well, like a like somebody who would be good in some of that. Some of that is tied to the bodies that they're in, but um, they get trained with like a certain amount of training that is i think it's very psychological and you could they bring that with them to whatever sleeve they're in which by the way that's the term they use for different bodies right their sleeves so yeah you're right it's it's more like built into their it's something that they they're brought up with and they bring that from sleeve to sleeve so uh he was like brought up and he's like has all these great investigating techniques and all this stuff and so i guess that what what we're supposed to draw from the prologue is that they were caught up in this crime because he was an ex-soldier and with all these skills the best thing he could do basically was become a criminal so he and whoever he was with his companion they both died i'm we're, we're, i think we're supposed to assume that they were together in some way yeah we yes romantically linked um in some way but we don't know i it, i think it's safe to say we don't really know the details of what like what he was doing like what kind of criminal behavior he may or may not have been involved in and like all of that's very vague that's how it comes back to bancroft is he kind of uses bancroft as this is this older man and we'll, we'll dive more into this but basically i just want to say uh bancroft brought him back because he was what happens is if you commit a crime rather than locking you up in your physical body they lock you up in your cortical stack in this thing called the stack so they put you away basically in like virtual Storage. virtual prison basically so you and you right. hang out there for how, however long and bancroft is a really wealthy man so he goes and uses his influence and his power to pull this person who has all these skills out of that jail basically right and so that that's that's our premise for like when he wakes up in a new sleeve so I think it's also important to note now, I think I don't know if it's his original, like his born body or if it's a sleeve he's at, in at the time. But it seems like he is, you know, basically an Asian man living on another world, which is called Harlan's world. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure where Harlan's world is. I'm not sure if it's in our solar system or maybe even in another solar system. I kind of thought maybe it wasn't a different. Star yeah, I system. think we get we get the the implication that it's very it's light years away. I think they said. Yeah. So, so that's interesting, and, and he had some sort of long journey over. It seems like, but yeah. So he wakes up in this new this new sleeve, which is a you know forty ish year old white guy, and this this new body he's in has all these neurochems, which uh, go like are automated, and so if he senses danger, like they start pouring into his body, and it makes him have like really heightened reflexes, and you know a calmness under pressure, under pressure and under stress, and it, it reduces his like reaction to that kind of stimuli. I, it's really interesting. It's like the body he's in is this pretty well oiled fighting type body that's really well equipped for the things he's going to do. Um, seemingly, that's the, that's the, why he's in this body, right? Like it's a, it's a body that's well equipped. And so you also get the implication that the bodies that people are put into often have pre-existing histories, which I think is also important. Mm-hmm. They're not just like a lab-grown body that has never done anything. Well, in in most cases, but in some cases, in most cases, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it, there are there are exceptions to all this because it, it gets crazy. But most of the time, you get into a sleeve, and that for what for some reason, someone has maybe gotten um, in trouble. And so now they have, they're on the stack, right? Like they're in storage. And so their body's just sitting there. And when that happens, your body can be 
loaned out essentially and and he literally has a like a lease agreement on this body he's in for six weeks which i think is also really funny um so he's like leasing this body um and so there's this whole fun stuff where he's like having to get accustomed to this new body um there's i mean i feel like we could talk about that forever but at its at its core it's about these consciousnesses that can get transferred body to body via this uh this device it's basically like once you there's also it's like kind of the stack the major stack can be seen as like the cloud so it's like your consciousness can be pulled out of the cloud put into a body yeah although it does it it seems to typically be a physical like it's a physical like chip they have to like retrieve from a body and bring it somewhere and stuff but then there is also there is like if you're i think if you're more wealthy there's a way to do it more remotely yes which we'll get into with bancroft but typically it's 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 analog right so if you want to say like the reason why bancroft brought him back is and the reason for the mystery yeah so so bancroft we 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 meet next that's the first person he really meets other than he meets Kristen ortega who's who's a, a detective who kind of is there to to take him to meet bancroft she's a major player like she she shows up a lot we'll talk about her more yeah she she's important um so he meets bancroft and his wife miriam um but bancroft is the heart of this mystery so what has happened with Bancroft is he has been, he, he, he died. And he says, I'm, you're here to investigate my murder. And his murder uh, was investigated by the police, but they ruled it a suicide. Um, but he doesn't believe it. And the way that he's able to still be there and standing in front of him is he has, because he's super rich. He has these, um, he has like a 48-hour upload. Every 48 hours, his consciousness, his person gets uploaded into a like a backup storage facility and then if in the event of his death he will wake up in a new sleeve but he loses whatever time since that last update and so and we find out that he was murdered right before he was about to be backed up again so almost 48 hours of just like unaccounted for time something happened he ends up getting killed and the person who killed him like blew off his brain and fried it and whatever and like blew up his stack and everything so if you're a less wealthy person, that's what they call real death. But he's able to avoid that because of his wealth. Because of the backup. Well, so so we should also reiterate the fact that like if your body, so say you're not you're not very wealthy, if you're shot in like the heart, say, someone can come and retrieve your stack, your cortical stack, and upload you and then get you into a new sleeve. But if your neck, if in your in the bottom of your skull, if that's destroyed, like you're saying, it's the real death. Yeah. Yeah, and unless you've had some sort of backup, which only the really wealthy seem to be able to afford, then you're you're just dead. And that's yeah. And it seems like that's a lot more rare now. Um, even people who can't afford it, like the government takes their stacks and just puts it on storage. It's like they're they don't actually die. So often you'll hear about people dying and they just can't afford to get a new sleeve. So they're just kind of permanently on storage. Right. Um, which has interesting implications. Yeah, and but, brings uh, up so many like Black Mirror episode type things that are going <laughs> on in the stack, and I don't know. Yeah. So the important thing to know about Bancroft is he is over 250 years old, and he has lived out like multiple lives, and he he grow, he like grows new versions of his body to inhabit that he just like switch swaps in and out of. And because he's so wealthy, like he can he can do all of this. And they call him they call these types of people um, meths, 
which is a really cool term that's referring to Methuselah from like the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially that they're like these, they're so old that they almost become another type of person because they have accrued all this power and wisdom and knowledge that they start, the, the implication is that they start seeing other people as lesser than them and they kind of see themselves as like demigods. Right. And you know, you can get why. Because he essentially can't be killed and he is supremely wealthy and he's lived for all these multiple lives and, and all this stuff. So he's this really interesting, fascinating character that I was immediately taken with, even though he's questionable at some, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But um, he's he's the heart of this mystery. He wants to know how he died and he thinks someone's trying to kill him permanently, um, permanently. And the but the police don't want to deal with it because they think that first off, they also are kind of prejudiced against these types of people, these old types of people the meths and second off it, it they just think that he for whatever weird you know zany reason killed himself and just doesn't realize it yeah and they also kind of figure even if even if he didn't kill himself if someone else killed him he's still here so like whatever like you're still yeah, here like, so what's, what's the, the big point deal of, in, like wasting manpower on this when yeah, real Chris, like actual yeah. people are dying we get most of this from Kristen ortega and that that's her reasoning and, and yeah she wants to go investigate people who can't afford to have a backup, you know what I mean? Like there are people who are having real deaths out there that she could better spend her time investigating. But anyway, so there's, he draws up this deal with um, Kovacs that he will be, uh, get a new sleeve of like of his choosing and he'll get like a hundred thousand credits, which is, you know, is apparently a ton and, and his sentence will be like done and he'll get basically get a new lease on life if he is able to solve this murder. If he's not able to solve it, he has to essentially just go back to storage. So he doesn't really have like much of a choice at all. Yeah. Some people who are in storage are just on ice, basically, till they can get a new sleeve. And then others, like he was, I think he had like a 200-year sentence that was cut short because of Bancroft, like kind of pulled him out. So if he does have to go back, he has to serve like a couple hundred more years on the stack without coming back out. Yeah, that's the premise. I think that's the essential premise. And it's trying to figure out who who done it <laughs> right. um and and yeah uh, i think it's important to note that miriam his wife uh bancroft's wife is just like him also really ancient um she's like she's when he, when uh, kovacs meets her she's in this like teenager body but she's actually several hundred years old just like bancroft himself yeah and they have this really like weird kind of interesting relationship where they they only see each other like briefly and are very like business like almost. You know, there's a lot going on, and, and I guess yeah, we don't. I don't want to get into it because it could be spoilery, but we get an implication that Bancroft isn't necessarily telling him everything, and Kovacs feels like he's he's p- partly curious and partly because he doesn't have any choice, he agrees to take on this uh, to take on this investigation. So I also the other thing I, we didn't mention is that this is back on Earth, importantly. Yes. Um, which which Kovacs has like never been to. So he's he's also this interesting like fish out of water, which gives us a cool entry point into this world because he doesn't know a lot about Earth. And so he has he is able to say he's naive and they have to explain to him things about like how life is on Earth, which is a nice entry point for the reader because we don't know what life is like on Earth now at this point either. Yeah. So it's like a clever way of doing of giving us a lot of information. Definitely. Uh and so he's also he's in um they call it Bay City and I think it's supposed to be basically San Francisco right because he goes to Alcatraz at one point yeah that makes sense which is also cool because Richard K Morgan is you know you know a Brit so it's interesting that he chose San Fran San Francisco as his as his place to set this novel yeah so you extrapolate out from this this core premise of the sleeves 
and you get the haves and the have-nots, and you get society as a whole, and how that's affected everything. And, you know, people people's ability to afford a new body becomes a huge factor, and you know, in their ability to succeed. And in some ways, like, disease and death has been conquered, but there is still always the risk of the real death if your stack gets, it were to get destroyed. So, I mean, more than anything, it's still, it's still, we still have the same problems where we have the super rich, super powerful 1% and then everyone yeah. else. It's showing like the, the, the difference in wealth and, and how yeah. like it extrapolates out and it becomes more important as, as we go further into the future, because as we cure these diseases and as we cure all these things, there's ways for you to continue on. And like, it made me realize that like, damn, if I was coming up in this time, I would be like, you would do whatever you could to be rich. You know what I mean? You would do everything you could to live, live, live that life. Well, unless you were like the, the Catholics, which exactly. um, I, I thought was a really funny moment because they're considered this like fringe religious sect and, and Kovacs has never heard of them. He's like, who are they? The Catholics? They sound like crazy people because they don't believe in using this whole technology at all. They think that when you die, you just should die and you shouldn't upload to another sleeve. And they have it like built into their, they take this like vow and you're, uh, there's laws against actually re-sleeving them or bringing them back. Um, so they opt out of this, of this scenario and they're kind of viewed as being kooky, like fringe, almost cultists, which is, I don't know. I thought it was fun. It was someone who was raised Catholic, you know, I should say. Well, it's also cool because it's like you, you get this, this, because there's there's sort of like political maneuvering going on and like there the people are trying to change laws to make it so that like it's it's either they're dealing with like the the whole catholic thing because it's literally baked into the law where it's like if you're catholic don't bring them back so kind of like people know that they can get away with killing certain catholics yeah. and and it just becomes like part of the yeah. mystery of it all yeah yeah and yeah if you could fake someone being a catholic that could be a way to keep people from being able to bring because like you know, you could murder someone, and as long as you don't kill their, like, destroy their stack, the police can revive them and give them what they call, like, synthetic sleeves or temporary sleeves and bring them back and talk to them and, and find out what they know. Um, there's also a whole virtual reality component and, and all this stuff, and there's there's androids, and it's a full, full-fledged future world with AI and all this cool stuff. So the only other non-spoiler stuff I wanted to get into is just I wanted to talk to you about what your take is on this tech. And I, I just came back to this, to this core question. Would you do it? Yeah. And, and which we and, actually talked about before recording. And we think yeah. that we may make this like a, a somewhat frequent little segment. Yeah. So this will be our, would you do it segment? <laughs> yeah. Would you do it? So Music. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables to think about. It's like, sure. so, how I think well at, at its I? base, at its base, would you, opt into the the having a cortical stack that can be put into another body that's the first would you do that i mean yes yeah for sure absolutely yeah right yeah same i, I absolutely would do that i think not only that i think it's i think it's a believable path that our tech could bring us to um i don't know how far away how far out it is this i should say also this is like far future this this story um but i absolutely i absolutely would do it yeah, I mean, at its core, you would definitely do it, and then there, then certain variables come into play, because sometimes you don't really have a choice where which sleeve you end up in after your your death, your first death. Now, so the idea of uploading consciousness, and we don't have time to really get into this, but 
at first blush, it seems like a no-brainer. Okay, yeah, you just take the information of my brain and you upload it to a computer. But what does that actually mean? And how do you know that the thing that is uploaded is actually you right now and not a copy and that you right now actually die? Right. That's like that same the same idea um, behind like beaming someone up in Star Trek, right? Right. It's like, are they completely pulling them apart at the material level and then copying them there? In right. like and so did that that version of yourself die, but every memory, every feeling, everything that you have reappear in that other person. So you effectively die, but you carry on in this yeah, new it's, it's, version. So every time that happens, is it just a copy of you? Right. And, and and you know, people like does that copy lose anything? Is it is and because it's identical to you, does it matter? Yeah. So uh, I think it's really interesting philosophical thing to talk about because mm-hmm. you know, there's no good answer for that. I don't think. Well, I guess it's one of those things where it's like once we get there and people experience it, but then I guess the person on the other end would be like, no, no, I, I'm still the same person as I was. So yeah. you never well, really that have new proof. person. Th- this also goes to, um, I mean, it's a spoiler, I guess, for uh, The Prestige, but that yeah. movie's been out a long time. But there, Wait, there are we is ever going to cover The Prestige? Hap- is that, oh, a, yeah, is that a novel? Yeah, that is a novel, actually. All right, we'll save that then. <laughs> we'll put that on <laughs> okay. ice. There's some similar things, is all I'm going to say. Yeah. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, so is the person in that stack, is that, a, is that a copy of you or is that you? Becomes the essential question. And does it matter? I mean, how I feel about it pre this technology, before this technology comes out, I feel like I would be worried. That would be the worry, right? Because the first yeah. time you would be like, okay, well... You're, you're jumping into the unknown. You're taking that leap of faith and hoping that it all works out. And that's still your soul, per se, connected to that brain. Well, that's what we're talking about, right? right. Like the, it's, a, it's basically the concept of a soul. Right. And is that a real thing? And does that, transfer with, does that transfer into the tech? Or is that something that dies with your physical body? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough to say. It's, it's, I mean, I feel like I would be weary of being like really nonchalant about, I would have the cortical stack just because like if I, if something happened with this body that I have here, I would want that backup regardless, yeah. but it's something right? I wouldn't be gung ho. I wouldn't be trying to die to jump into the next sleeve because you don't really, you're just, you're still entering the unknown. I think, you know, I, when I first thought about this, I thought the stack is the stack is, oh, of course I would do that. That's no big deal. That that's you, right? That trans it's a physical thing that transfers. But that doesn't actually matter because when I was thinking about it, I was like the the remote thing that we we find out that Bancroft does, where he sends he sends his consciousness to another world, which is then loaded into a clone. That I was like, oh, he just died, and you know what I mean. Like I I, I thought of it more like that was my breaking point. I couldn't do that because it's not the same physical item. Right. It's it's that's just a copy, but. Ultimately, that that doesn't matter because the it's the point from biological to, to digital. It's that co- it's that cortical stack in your body has to at some point copy or transcribe what's going on in your brain that makes you you into some sort of information packet, and that information packet right there. That so to me, that's the real barrier. And once I got past that, like maybe it's new me now, maybe it's digital me now. Yep. But once digital me exists. I feel like at that point I wouldn't care anymore. And at that point I'd be bought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you die every time, but I've already died, you know? So 
that's yeah at that point i'd be like yeah beam me across i don't care yeah I but mean, we could also be looking at uh, some ancient copy of a real person that used to live if you think of it that way which is kind of creepy yeah it's all it's all really crazy like uh, something that i wanted to mention i get it's not really spoilers just as the detail that was in it was that all of the wars that have been won in this in this universe like more recently have been basically just a bunch of of soldiers their consciousness was just were just uploaded into a bunch of available sleeves that were nearby so they effectively are just like this like beamable army this beamable group that just like you that they you can just shoot the consciousness of somebody into a body light years away or whatever and then they're there and i, I just really really cool concepts that i never really thought of before and it blurs the line like what does what does artificial intelligence even mean if everybody is just essentially a chip in a in a body anyway yeah you essentially at that point you are artificial intelligence how are you any different you will you, yeah program? like you said you are artificial as soon as as soon as you die that first time and you're whether you're in the cortical stack or you're or you're uploaded virtually or, or however that yeah. was digitally regardless you are artificially intelligent at that point yeah so it's interesting because they have these ais like uh importantly he goes to a hotel that is run by an ai and it's not a spoiler to say that but i, I won't get into what happens but i was thinking like he's not he's not really any different than that hotel in yeah. a lot of ways now maybe maybe the the difference is in just in the programming and ais have more restrictive programming whereas if you're in up in a in one of these one of these cortical stacks you you have the freedom to do what you want you, you you're you're given like more free will than maybe an, a, a more particular ai is given but other than that like they're pretty similar yeah so I, I mean i guess we should probably get into some spoilers now do you have anything else you want to talk about in this in this non-spoiler section something that i thought was interesting is i think this is our first first person pov novel right oh um Yes, I think it is. Because it it I thought it was interesting, like, right away, it's all eyes. Like, yeah. I did this, I did that. And I was like, wow, it's really smart to do it that way. But it also, we also get that third person sometimes. That, you know, and that reminds me, I have two, I have two follow-ups to that. Um, first, I guess first I want to ask you, what, how did that affect, like, how, how did you like that as a, as a difference? Like, did you, did you find... Did you find anything fundamentally different about being in first person to being in a close third person? I mean, I think first person is, I like first person because you're able to get like very, very specific, like Im intimate thoughts that like you can get that in close third, but it's like to be like, I feel this way. I, I remember this. There's like some flashbacks that we get. And I feel like if I feel like I'm usually closer to first person, but I will say that I've read first person novels before that I that I didn't like necessarily as much as as close third. So, like, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is it's hard to get it right. Yeah, well, I think what you're saying is in the right hands. Yeah, it can be something that takes something where you're already really like you would already be really close and close third, but it just maybe adds just a little bit of something else to have it to have it be I. And I would say on the writers on the writer side of things, some writers find it easier to get into their characters' heads if they do it that way, if they use first person. So it can be a tool in the writer's toolbox to get close to their character. Yeah. Um I don't know, I can't speak for him as to why he chose that. Um but I do think it's cool in this novel where identity is so transient 
I think it gives you kind of an anchor and that we know we know who we are in this novel. Mm-hmm. We know we're Takashi Kovacs and we and no matter what happens to him and what, you know what I mean? Like we always know we're him. Right. And um, so that also wanted me to bring up one more philosophical thing about this that I think is really interesting is the idea of identity and like what makes us what makes us who we are. And, you know, I, I immediately it's it's in, in by definition, it becomes kind of political. But like I immediately think of gender identity politics. Right. And. It's so obvious here because Takashi is a we consider him a male, right? We consider him a man. Mm hmm. But he can be sleeved into a, a woman's body. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a man sleeved into a woman's body, what are you then? Are you a woman or are you a man? It's whatever you identify as. Right. It's what you identify as. Right. It's what you believe you are. It's your identity. Exactly. And so that that is a really clear way for you to understand that, I think. Mm-hmm. And that I think you, you can see what it's like for him. He is a man in a woman's body in that moment. And but he's not no longer a man. He just has these female characteristics, physical characteristics. Yeah. And so I think you know, and you could take that beyond gender to just everything. Like your identity is almost separate from your physical body, mm-hmm. in well, in a way that I that people don't I think appreciate in our society enough. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, it's definitely I I, f- I felt that too. Like when we were when they were diving into that, I was I I went down this whole rabbit hole where I was like, well, this is this, and and I, I definitely got a lot of that where it was like, this this could be a good touchstone for people who aren't really able to wrap their head around the concept because it's like, it it really is like, it's like if you identify a certain way, that that is who you are. You know what I mean? regardless of what you were born into or how you you know what i mean it's just i don't know it's very interesting um and relevant you know it just it just seems like i, w- I want to give some people this this story and be like here this is a this is a good way to understand this well and you can talk about race too right mm-hmm. now it's interesting that now it's i think it works it works better in a novel maybe than it will on screen I, i'm curious to see how they approach it but this it's a you know a man who's a minority is in a white dude for this novel Mm -hmm. for most of it at least but it's interesting because like we at his heart is he like where does what is his identity what does he identify as and is is that what's important more than his outward appearance and yeah so you can take that to mean all kinds of things it's just really interesting too and like what does that mean for any of us i I don't know it's like to me it harkens to the way i i view the world and that is you know people are just people and we're all the same but we're in these bodies that society tells us mean certain things about us but really we're just consciousnesses that are more alike with one another than 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 dissimilar in any way and we're just in our own we're just in bodies yeah i don't know it's just weird because it's like as humans and as (laughs) as society more than anything we do this grouping thing where where we just like like society decides this group is 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 like like you were saying we're much closer to to each other than than anything else on the planet you know what i mean and and yet we still decide that like this person is in this group and this person is in this group where it's like we can't like take that macro view and just be like we're all individually people and and like you say it's just it's tough it's just it's just your meat sack exactly. it's just your sleeve man just my you know, vessel I, I, it's it's a cool it's a really cool metaphor for all that if you want to take it that way but beyond just being a metaphor like this is some shit that we might actually get into 
at some point in our future if we survive. Um, so <laughs> it, really fascinating novel. And that's one of the reasons I'm this, it's blowing me away. Like it's so much to think about. It's, there's so much there you can chew on and, 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 you know, I highly recommend it. Um, but I think just on t- based on time alone, we need to get to our spoiler section. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, we wanted to take a second and tell you about Audible. So Audible has been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that, you get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook in their collection. Yeah, and, and I was talking to somebody recently, and I, I wanted to make sure we make this clear. So when you sign up for Audible, you're, you are getting a free book. And yes, they will charge you after 30 days. But it's not like it's just a delayed charge for that book. What it is, is you get a free, you get, you get a free book, and then at the start of the second month, you get another book. You get another credit. So when the first time you get paid, or you, I'm sorry, you get charged, you are getting a second novel. So don't think, you know what I mean? Think of it that way. That first month is free and you get a free book. Second month you get paid, you get charged, but you get a, you get another novel. Right. So basically every month you get a book. Yeah. And then, and then, and you can cancel at any time. Right. So if you don't want, you know what I mean? So keep that in mind. Um, I'm going to go ahead and recommend Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, not only because we've covered it and you could listen to us talk about it and, and, and compare it to this, to this, to this work, but I think it's. This novel owes a lot to that. And if you haven't read it, I think it's a really good way to, to like steep yourself in sort of the history of the genre of cyberpunk and and and, and a really uh, foundational novel, I think, for the genre. Definitely. I mean, it's it's so so like you can see the groundwork being laid. Yeah. And that's by Philip K. Dick. Uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. If you wanted to get that novel, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film and you'll get it for free. And you can you can listen to that and then listen to our episodes about it too if you want. And that would help us out a ton. All right, so this is the spoiler section. We're going to talk about every anything and everything is fair game for what happened. Um, I think what we're going to try and do instead of our typical scene by scene, we're just going to, we're going to talk about the, the investigation in kind of broad terms. And then if we, if we want to talk about any specifics or if James, if you have any scenes you want to talk about specifically, we'll dive into them. So Takashi, you know, he starts his investigation and he, he, he really goes down this rabbit hole of finding out about prostitutes that Bancroft has had, uh, dealings with. Um, he gets, he gets dropped a name, uh, Lila, uh, which he comes to find out is a woman that may or may not have been impregnated by Bancroft. Um, it's a mystery, but the implication is that maybe she was. And then Miriam, Bancroft's wife forced a miscarriage on her by beating her up. And then she got paid like hush money. And so, so this is like the first of several things that's, it's really about, uh, Takashi unearthing a lot of like things about the Bancroft family and also dealing with the fact that Bancroft didn't tell him any of this prior to the investigation so it's making Bancroft seem a little like he is covering something up or they're covering something up or it just seems like he's not being completely truthful yeah it seems like maybe Bancroft is naively believing that it doesn't have anything to do with this or this isn't important Um, which we get the impression of uh, this has to be somehow important right um, and, and at least understanding the kind of person he is. Now, some things happen in, during this investigation. He, um, for one, someone tries to abduct him early on when he's at the Hendrix, and the Hendrix has like an automated f- system that kills the guy who's trying to, who, or it's a pair of people who are trying to uh, kidnap him. 
And the Hendrix being the hotel that he's he the automated AI hotel. Right, which by the way, he he goes to the uh, watchtower room, which I thought was just a really cool, you know, uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, you know, all along the watchtower, yeah, all along the watchtower, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> reference is what I'm trying to say. Um, so the per- that we come to find out that the person who tried to abduct him is this like really famous hitman who it, like makes copies of himself illegally and pairs up with himself so the two people it was a woman and a man were actually the same person which is a really interesting other thing that gets opened up that was i was i was going down that rabbit hole that's something else that i was thinking about i was always like all right so if you can upload your consciousness does that mean you can be in two bodies at once is that yeah. are you able to which one are you are, are you you're a, both you're obviously like individuals but like you work together i'm assuming and I don't know, went down a whole path of like, what if you were in a female body and a male body, had sex with yourself, had a child? Like, what does this do to like all of these things? Like, <laughs> I didn't get to the child part, but yeah, you're right. It's like, how, what does that do to a child? And it's just all of this, uh, all the way down. Well, and that I think that's going to be tied to the sleeve you're in. But, but it seems like people are also copying their actual sleeves now. You, But then you would always be the same uh, sex. Like um, later on, Miriam... Um, has a buck wild sex scene with our main character. <laughs> yep. um, and at the end, she like promises him this like sexual fantasy of he can go live on this island where she has just like numerous copies of herself that are all there to displease him. Which um, she makes him, makes her seem extremely suspicious. Yes. She's I like, agree. she's she, like, you'll she, be there for a very long time. And you're like, Oh, so yeah. you want this investigation to go? Yeah. Poorly? Well, and she even says like, I want you to stop this investigation. Uh, which is the one thing that makes her seem less suspicious almost because she's at least like she doesn't hide the fact that she wants him to stop investigating it. Right. I don't know. I don't know what to make of Miriam. She she is definitely a potential suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also one of these meths, right? So she's been around for hundreds of years. And I think our, our main character is getting distracted by her, you know, sexuality and often maybe uh, not thinking clearly around her. I also wanted to mention that like just dealing with all of the miriam stuff i felt like there was there was some stuff that was like um there's some almost fairly problematic ways that she was being uh, like interpreted as far as it goes and i know it's like this book's like what like almost 20 years old now 15 16 but it's just like there's some of it where it was like extremely objectifying but and like i get that like it's part of like what the character is supposed to what he's trying to like portray with this character, but it was like a lot. And it's like, maybe it's like, it's like, obviously he's not saying that this is how he feels about women. It's this character and what he's, it just, it just, I was like, there are some parts I was like, Ooh, well, I think, I mean, you could say that some, someone could read this and find it to be too much, be too explicit. Absolutely. That could happen. And, and, and maybe even be a little bit offensive, but I think he is also trying to get at there's, there's themes in this book about, kind of like our base nature and how i mean you look at bancroft and he talks about this at length mm-hmm. where he has this like he calls it like the you know the flesh has these like you know desires which you know that's a well-trodden trope um but that's why he sleeps with prostitutes is he feel he he like um respects his wife too much to be like really like dirty with her so he yeah. goes and sleeps with all these prostitutes and does his like like carries out his fantasies um, but that all is all part of this idea of humanity has this like perversion that and like sex, like sex, like is a big part of this novel. 
And so I think he's also trying to highlight that. Like that's, I think going to become a big part of the motivation for what my, my theory is something that, you know, for why Bancroft was killed, it's going to be tied up in this sex stuff somehow. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's my theory at least. And I think it's because thematically it makes sense for this novel. And then, yeah, we get a lot of talk about he mess. He isn't necessarily in his head, you know, or in his stack, like super horny, but he gets put in a body that is super horny. Right. And so he's like a slave to his sleeves desires, which is also really interesting too, right? Well, they talk about the nicotine addiction and cigarette smoking cigarettes and how he doesn't, he, he's trying to quit. Right. Which is another example of that. Exactly. And so I think that's, we're supposed to get that like his body is just super horny. And that's when he sees this woman, like he can't help it. Like that's just how his body reacts to it. Yeah. And, He's he he draws it up in really explicit ways for sure, and then like the sex scene is so explicit in and of itself. I think for a similar reason. Right? Well, the sex scene and is it, is less. I felt less problematic because it's more of like a mutual thing. Yeah, and it was just like specifically objectifying. like objectifying before. But, but, but I, I mean, mean, like you I could also argue saying. you could also argue that Miriam wants that. I think it's also the point. Like, there's a reason she isn't in a you know pantsuit. You know, like middle aged woman. She could be like that, but she's not. She's in a teenager's body that is, you know, hypersexualized. She obviously wants this sort of attention. Now, is that problematic to say? I don't know. Maybe, in, you know, <laughs> don't extrapolate out to the real world. What I'm talking about is a character who's multiple centuries old, who has any option she wants. She's not, she doesn't have to be this way, but she is choosing to be this way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't and know. I, I think it she, seems a little messy, but I, I definitely get what you're saying. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting because like, I don't know how much of it's like he's trying to say something about the world and how much of it is just important for the plot of this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Um, but then, yeah, like uh, people can hop in like and like so some of this gender stuff becomes really fluid because you can hop in and out of different bodies and like you can become a woman and experience sex that way if you want and mm-hmm. like all this stuff. Yeah. So... And then he, there's some really interesting stuff later where he talks about how like women are the, are really what the species is. And like men are almost like a, almost like a offshoot of that and how they're just like fucking and fighting machines. Yeah. But like the real experience is when you're in a woman's body and like you're like, they're more sensory and all this stuff. Right. And it's, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know how true that is because I'm not a woman, but it, like, I'm assuming this is based off of his conversations and. Like it, I believe it. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get we were gonna we're gonna get to a, definitely a scene where where we deal with some some of this stuff. So let's just let's jump ahead to like that kind of stuff. Yeah, let's do it. So he he uh, also finds out about a death threat that's been made, in a, in the specific way that Bancroft was killed, and he decides to investigate that. And he meets a man who does want he like does want Bancroft dead, but he says that he didn't actually do it. And um, we find out about this man's daughter who is another prostitute who was involved with Bancroft and then died mysteriously. And so Takashi kind of follows this down a path to the, which leads him to this uh, whorehouse called Jerry's Jerry's. Yeah. And yeah, there he talks to a, a, uh, another prostitute and he asks her about the, um, the daughter whose name is Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And when he's asking her about Elizabeth, he poses as her mother, who's been who's been put into the body he's in, which is really funny and just. I cool. thought that like was he, great. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, he, he convinces her that he's actually this this girl's mother, and it's, and it's I don't know, it's really cool. And then yeah, he ends up coming back later 
and when he when he returns later, she, uh, the the prostitute he goes to see her again, and she gets murdered, and he gets abducted and taken to this clinic where he's tortured, which is a another crazy. Well, before he's of tortured, he's like they knock him out basically as soon as he gets to the clinic, and he wakes up in a female body. Right, and there you go. So now he's in a female body, and and it's a female body that hasn't been augmented in any way, isn't very strong at all. And even though he has his reflexes and he has his training, it all, he's at the whims of, you know, what's happening. Now, what's weird is that he's like kind of in this body, but he's also kind of in virtual reality. And like, there's a really interesting blurring that happens with that. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure, like, is he actually ever in a real physical body or is he in, is he just his stack experiencing? That's things? what I was going to say. So uh, at the end of the scene, we, I feel like we get the implication that it was just a virtual like thing that they put him through. Like maybe he was in the process of being put into a different body, but they were giving him this experience because um, they talk about the fact that like death isn't a factor anymore. And basically the way that you hurt someone is you either put them on the stack and make them wait and like lose years just going by on the stack or you torture them and tear them apart because death is too quick. So and that I mean, that's what happens to him, whether this was virtual or not. He was he experienced this. He experiences it as if it is. And I think the blending is probably important because it, it kind of shows how, to him, it is real, regardless. And so, yeah, he's he's tortured brutally, uh, which I don't want to get into too many of the details of that, but he's essentially about, he's being tortured brutally, and then he, through his training, is able to stop his own heart and kill himself to, to, like, to, to spare himself future pain, which I thought was really interesting. that he That's like something really cool that he's able to do with his training, yeah. right? Um, I mean, this is where we were talking about the sensory of being a female and how they experience pleasure differently and pain differently and the thresholds that that comes with that and menstruation and, and childbirth and all of that. And, but when you say brutal, like this was a brutal scene, like she was like torn apart and just like the, I mean, obviously the worst, the worst part of it had to be the, she was impaled in her vagina and (laughs) the the yeah. rod that that's was nervous laughter by the way that's why i laughed the rod that was in there <laughs> I, it's, was, it's, was i mean unbelievably like torturous and i don't know man that that was another point where i was like i mean i love i like i understand the shock value and i'm all for that in stories it was just like whoo that was pretty far man you went almost as far as you could go anyway you the, know and this that, rod is I, being like it's being uh like warmed up by a some element or something and basically she's being burned from the inside yeah, and that's something I like about novels. I mean, I think everybody's mileage is going to vary, right? And and that's what I mean. It's like it's like it's like it's not necessarily. This is, yeah, this isn't going to be for everyone. Exactly. Like I said, like this. Th- that's why I felt like this book was made for me because I am someone who can handle that kind of stuff. Right. Um. You know, it doesn't bring up past trauma to me like it might for other people. Yes. So for me, like I think, but it, it goes back to something that why I always find books to be. And you know, and you you can disagree with this, obviously, uh-huh. but I find it to be the most visceral, like experience you can have in entertainment, um, because there's like you can't put that on screen, not really. Well, you and can't put just, you can't put the the internal. Yeah, on and that's what I'm going to be really interested to see how much of this comes across in the show because I I can almost guarantee that this scene won't 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 be in the show. 
Well, it, or, it, you know, it'll, in this capacity. Be some, I bet there'll be some sort of version of it. Yeah. yeah but like that particular detail won't be in there. Yeah. But that's my point. Like books, you also can get away with more mm-hmm. and, and, and you have more freedom to do things like this. And I will say that like and, I'm all for go taking it to the limit and doing it all. Yeah. And like you say, it's it's not a personal, it's not a personal, it's not personally affecting. I just feel yeah. like it's worth mentioning that it's like, yeah. it, it's definitely something that like, that like some people will be offended by. And like you say, it's not for everyone. And, it reminds um, me of um, our, our Clive Barker, which we just did coverage, where Clive Barker is someone who won't let you look away, and he's going to tell you all these details you don't want to hear. And I felt like he was doing that a bit here. Yeah. And he he was he was not letting you look away from this torture scene. He wasn't. Although it's interesting because he does actually have this moment where he is like imagining his friend talking to him and stuff, and like we get an imp- impression that that's how he's getting through it. Is he is kind of dissociating from it, but still like you get these details and he doesn't gloss over them and i think that's something for like hard-boiled dark fiction that i really like is that's like a hallmark of it Mm -hmm. when people talk about that kind of is that it it's gritty and it's real and it doesn't shy away from things like that right yeah um and then and you know and if you write a sex scene with as much explicit detail as he's gonna do then as soon as you read like when i read that sex scene i knew that like the violence was going to be described in the same way right because it's like a, it's a contract with the reader and it's like explicit, every detail, every gory, sticky, whatever detail, right. you're going to get it all. Yeah. And, you know, if that's your if that's your bag, then you're going to love this. Right. You know, and if not, then you probably shouldn't read this book. And I mean, I, I'm all for the the artist or in this case, the writer. Like, like, I don't want them to pull their punches. Like, if this is what they feel, I don't want them to pull well, their and punches. A, and a, writer, and... a lot of writers do. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's a lot of writers wouldn't write this novel this way. Right. You know, but I respect that he does. And, and I, as a, as a writer, I feel like that's more my style too. Like I, 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 I aspire to this kind of detail. Um, and I know, and, and I know going into it that some people, it'll turn some people away, but it'll also like, there are also, you know, people like me who appreciate that too, because it's like I said, to me, it elevates writing in a way that you can't get anywhere else. Like you can't get that intimacy to to detail in any other art form in my opinion like you can through reading a book so anyway um yeah you're right it's worth talking about and i think it's really interesting um and if you've gotten to this point yeah maybe that's something to consider if you're if you're going to considering reading this novel can you handle that kind of stuff because it's a really graphic torture scene but yeah let's move on uh so he he eventually is able to kind of con his way out of the clinic and with like talking about his like playing his envoy card and we find out that they are thinking he is a person named Riker mm-hmm. um which we learn is because he the person whose body he's in is Riker and so when they see this body they're like you're Riker um who was a cop and so he was a cop so like they're they're was, in the underbelly so they're they're like oh my god he's coming after who us. was investigating them yeah right. so they, they thought like oh you're this cop who was sniffing around again um so he eventually is able to convince them, though, that he's he's got this envoy training, and that and and that's like this big deal. Like it it actually scares them enough to where they're gonna like take him to see someone else, and he's gonna have to plead his case, right? Mm-hmm. And then on his way out, he you know is able to you know murder everybody in the car with him, and 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 have the guy drop him off, and he escapes. Oh, that's something else that I feel like we should have mentioned is that like I will the action in this is really fun, really well described. Yeah. And it's yeah. like there were action scenes in in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and th- these reminded me a lot of that, specifically like the fighting in the car, 
that's a scene that yeah. happens basically kind of in do androids dream and yeah. um i i just had a lot of fun with all the fight scenes like it's, i feel like that's also another thing that's kind of hard to write because it's like to yeah. get your your bearings and know where you're at yeah. and what's happening oh no fight. It's, it's yeah to... it's very it's it's very tough um and he does it well and yeah so he he uh so speaking of that he goes on what i thought was just a super fun like revenge which like i'm a sucker for this kind of thing and i i identify it and know what it is but it's it's just like a revenge kick mm-hmm. and he goes back and he kills everybody it reminded like, me he's... of the end of Django <laughs> Unchained, where he's just like yeah he's like, right? all of these things have happened and he's like i'm going back and i'm like brutally gonna kill everyone and it's gonna be this epic like hero's moment yeah he goes back to jerry's he kills everybody there except for jerry he gets Jerry and like convinces him he's going to kill him unless he takes him to the clinic where he was tortured because he wants to go see the people at the clinic. He, Jerry takes him to, to the clinic and gets him all the way in to like meet the people who were behind it all. And then once he gets him in there, then he just kills everybody, including Jerry. And this is all, by the way, real deaths, which is important. Like he's like he kills people and then he fries their fries their uh, stacks. Yeah. So they're really dead. And we learn later that he ends up killing 17 people in this like rampage. Yeah, he went and, off. He was going off. He was like, I'm killing everybody. Well, I mean, this is these are the people who brutally tortured him. And, and like, yeah. that's I, I mean, you could say that the the punishment matches the crime in this situation. Like he. Yeah, but it, it he does add that interesting layer of um, where it's gray because he also kills like Jerry's guards who are just being paid to be there. True. He also get, he also kills a bunch of people who work at this clinic as like staff and aren't necessarily the people directly responsible for it. And like, what kind of culpability do they share? You know, he, he, it's a very like, you know, maybe there's some interesting, like, instead of like trying to determine levels of guilt for everybody, everybody gets the same punishment. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, well, they're they're all working at that, that sick and twisted clinic or working for bad people. So he probably just assumes that these people aren't, you know, and like you say, it is a great, he makes that decision. (laughs) He's he decides he's judge jury and, he decides he's Judge Judy and Executioner, to quote <laughs> hot, hot Fuzz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Judge Judy goes off, kills everybody. And um, and then, uh, and then yeah, we get, some, we get some of the aftermath of that, which is him back at the Bancroft estate. And, we, and Bancroft is pissed at him because he's had to pay off the triads we've heard, we hear. He's had to pay off the police. He's had to pay all this money to, clear, like, to keep him from being arrested for doing this. And, um, but this is kind of an interesting debriefing moment too, where he talks about like what he's learned and, uh, Bancroft comes clean about like some of these, uh, you know, the prostitutes and kind of his philosophy about his marriage. And, um, it is also important to note that, yeah, so, uh, Kovacs has slept with Miriam, had like raunchy sex with her many times Mm -hmm. and they, uh, she is like kind of like being coy and like making these hints when she's around but it's making takashi nervous because he thinks at least and i don't know if you think or not but like bancroft at least at first blush doesn't seem to know and and so there's this like secret now too between them where he's had this affair with his wife right and i mean it's basically like you have to think about in like a normal story of this style if you're hired by the big rich guy and then you sleep with his wife like you're you're sleeping with the fishes soon right 
And like right. he's in a situation where he's talking about like the sexual nature of being as old as he is and being in a relationship that long and staying together. And he basically just talks about how he knows that his wife has affairs with other men and he has affairs with other women and goes to see prostitutes and just kind of talks about that. And which leads us to maybe, do you think that, that he knows that uh, Kovach slept with um, Miss? Yeah. I kind of don't think he actually knows. And and what's interesting, because what you're saying gives us the implication that like, he wouldn't be too, like he would be okay with it. Like, cause he's not, he's not super protective of her and like, or possessive of her, I should say, right. in that way. But does that apply to this situation where it's the man he hired to investigate his murder? Like, it, I also feel like there's a there's a, there's something there. I suspect that when he does find out, because I think he will, um, I I don't know that he's going to handle it well, and I'm going to be really interested to see how he responds. Well, especially because he holds Kovach's like life in his hands, he can be like, "You're going yeah. back to the stack," and then he's fucked. Yeah, and and it's interesting because like Miriam also has a lot of power, and she says like I can hide you, and I can pay you the money myself, and and I can protect you from my husband. So now he's kind of caught up in this really interesting web with these two ancient beings, and it, I don't know. That's really cool to me. Like I, I like I said, like I, this story is just really fascinating, and there's beyond all the cool tech, it's just you know it's it's a really cool mystery story that is very unique to me. Yeah. So uh, we also, a couple other, I want to point out a couple other important characters that are talked about. Um, for one, there is a daughter who witnessed something, um, found the body at least. Uh, one of one of his many children, he's he's said to have like 30 something children or 50 children or something. I can't remember how many. Um, but one of them who actually lived at the house found the body and she's in psychosurgery right now recovering from whatever she saw which psychosurgery we 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 understand is like if you if you have some sort of mental trauma that that's the only way to like repair you and she hasn't done anything real important yet but she's been referenced and i think she's going to be important in the second half of the novel because at some point i think he's going to talk to her and she's going to know something um that's my suspicion and uh the 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 uh the the, the assassin who tried to abduct him gets interviewed in a really interesting scene too so they're interviewing him in virtual reality well yeah so after after kovach meets with the bancrofts basically right after that he goes and meets with ortega and he and ortega go and like like you're saying they they go and in, in, like basically interrogate this guy in vr yeah and um also he uh he reveals that or it's revealed that um Riker, whose body he's in was was uh kristen ortega's partner and that's part of why she's been like helping him out and stuff. Is she's like trying to protect that sleeve, yeah, um, because she she wants it to be like intact for him when he comes out. Because he's been he's been he was put in the storage for corruption. We also assume that he they were together in some way, right? Or at least I yeah, did. it seems like it seems like, like romantically maybe. involved. I don't know. It could all just just be they were partners, and she you know I'm not really sure if it was a romantic thing or not. But regardless, um, so they've got this interesting relationship because of that. And anyway, so she pretends like he is Riker um, for like a lot of this legal stuff. Um, not for this part, though, because when she, they go to talk to the lawyer, she does. But here, yeah, he interviews this guy. And what's really interesting about this guy is he's been doing this for so long and he's he, he copies himself into multiple bodies that he is said to not really have like a personal identity. And so he appears as this like chimera of all these different people. And he has like claws and he has all this like he has like weird enhancements in this virtual world so this is how he views himself yeah i thought this was really cool 
it's really cool. And he's this really like, I mean, I'm fascinated by this guy because he, he is, um, or a thing, I guess you could call him. He's even a guy at this point. I don't know. And he's obviously another suspicious figure because he was yeah. basically sicked on Kovach very early on. This is Kovach's main clue that something is going on here because somebody who knows who sent him and he's not revealing who it is. So obviously but why would, why would this happen if, if Bancroft killed himself? Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, this guy is like, he's not going to be interrogated. He's not gonna be intimidated. Like he, he's, he's impenetrable. And so they go to his lawyer and they find out they like, they trick his lawyer into thinking they know something. And so the lawyer makes some calls and then they're able to trace the calls and this is kind of where we we left off at the at the end of chapter eighteen, right? Right. Within this whole like meeting with the lawyer and and all that stuff, uh, Kovach is is posing as Riker, and Ortega is referring to him as Riker. They get right. there, and there's like this interesting exchange where he kind of outsmarts this lawyer, and they're able to kind. Of, I, I what I got out of it is they kind of tapped his phone or his feed or something. They could see the calls that were going to be coming in and out. Yeah. And then yeah. after they left, they they went to dinner together, Ortega and Kovach just Mm -hmm. a friendly thing they were just talking about their childhoods and upbringing and home worlds and then we get this crazy thing where she says that there were whale scientists who i just wanted to mention this because it was so wild um apparently whale scientists were able to eventually communicate with whales and whales told people about the original martians Martians who came to earth (laughs) which i thought was awesome it's really cool. Like I, I'm interested to know like how important this is for the novel going forward. But yeah, it's just like this little detail that gets thrown out. Like, oh yeah, of course, the whales told us about the Martians, who are like an extinct alien race that once lived on Mars, and like all their stuff was buried or something. Yeah. Um, really cool, interesting thing. And then, um, I yeah, the whales being these intelligence beings who can talk. It's really, it's. I mean, that's really fascinating. And then we get Ortega getting a phone call at that dinner and she kind of is like vague about it but he's like who who was this lawyer reaching out to and we find out the lawyer was reaching out to bancroft so now the lawyer that they're investigating well no not necessarily bancroft he made a call to the bancroft residence okay yeah that's true so somebody at the bancroft residence is in connection with the lawyer who's representing the hired man who tried to kidnap him earlier who's his like one piece of evidence which yeah which could mean any number of things but it's definitely a clue in something that's happening and that's basically right where we leave off yeah that's where we leave off so i think um i I mean i I, unless you unless you can think of any other like major characters i haven't talked about yet i think we have all our main players out on the table right now that we know of at least right yeah so why is elizabeth elliott killed i mean it's a good question because I don't think that we're really given quite enough clues to put it all together yet. Because Jer- you know, Jerry pieces... kills her, right? Or has her killed. Right. But we don't know for what reason. For what reason. So I'm, I, I assume that it all comes back to this whole Bancroft thing is obviously it, it, it like to set up the story like this and not have it all be like connected and, and yeah. to have the prostitution and Bancroft being the major points of contention uh, wouldn't really make sense. So I think basically she was killed. um because she either did something like either Bancroft is being on on like he's not being truthful about his feelings towards sexual relations. Maybe he was jealous. Maybe there was something that went on. Like she heard something she wasn't supposed to hear. Maybe yeah. she was so trying you, to leverage him. So you think that Bancroft had her killed somehow? Not I necessarily. Sure I just think happened. that. 
I think that she was killed for being in the position that she was in. So I think that her being a prostitute and being involved in that world ultimately got her killed. Um, like I don't maybe think maybe Jerry didn't want her to leave because she she was going to leave or something like because there was something about exclusive something and yeah. they were talking about how he, he was unhappy with like something that she wanted to to happen and I'm assuming it had something to do with her leaving with Bancroft or doing something. Well, we, like we something. Know, and we know that her father blames Bancroft for her death. Right. So I mean, those are the those are the hints that were given. So I I don't know how to piece that together. I just think that like all the pieces are out there, and then we're gonna have to see it play out next week. Yeah, so I mean, I think just to end, um, I just wanted to ask you what you like, what you think is actually happening. I mean, and obviously we don't know. Just if you wanted to take a moment to theorize um, from the information we've been given and the people we've seen, who you think is maybe guilty, who you think is maybe suspicious, and 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 what you think is going on here, if you want to take a stab at it. I mean, I I definitely think like I basically all the stuff that I just said basically goes into my final theory is just yeah. like there's something with Bancroft and the prostitution ring um that's ultimately going to lead into something else and i think to have it be just this because i think there's two sides to the story i think we're getting the very very wealthy and the underbelly um yeah. and the very very poor so i think those two things are going to like merge together and we're going to get something going on with with like wealthy powerful people and poor underbelly people and some i don't know amalgamation of those two things is going to ultimately lead into why he was killed so so if you had okay so you um you are you have fifty dollars <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're gonna bet it on one person you think is ultimately responsible who do you put it on shit man um i don't know i think there's so many red herrings at this point we're just not far enough into the story but if i had to put fifty dollars on somebody who did it I would say, I mean, it's, I would say it's not somebody that we think, I would say it's somebody powerful. It's not going to be somebody who's like a prostitute, potentially. It's not going to be a prostitute because they got in through his defenses and they killed him in his house with all of his guards and all of his technology and all that stuff. So I think it's got to be some sort of hit or something like that. Okay. Associated with the, with the ring of prostitution. What do you think? So, so my initial thoughts was Miriam. Um, I think she's very, I think she's very suspicious, like we said, but, but ulti- I also think she's the red herring. Ultimately, though. yes, I think she's the red herring. And I think we're supposed to think it's her essentially. Right. right. And I think, I, I also think that the person who's done it has been introduced at this point, And I think it is the daughter. I think the daughter is the one who's behind it. And the psycho in the psycho who is currently, um, yeah, getting psychosurgery or whatever. So she's been introduced, but not been like, we haven't dealt much with her. So she's been introduced in a way that we, we kind of think is like, okay, she's here, but she's not important, which I think psychologically direct, like moves our stuff away from her. Um, I think she's going to get interviewed at some point and she's going to have a really convincing story about what happened, but it's going to be some sort of, I think ultimately it's going to end up being a fake and that she is actually the one who's, who is behind it. And maybe her finding the body and needing this surgery was like a, a cover, you know what I mean? To cover right. her involvement. I mean, I hadn't even thought of that, dude. I think, I think you're definitely alone in the right like frame of mind there. I think you've got it because she would be on the inside. She wouldn't have to break through all the defenses. Yeah. So I, I just, I feel like she's, she's like nestled in there kind of secretively and, and could potentially be the one who's behind it. But I will say good mysteries also often evade this sort of 
thinking because they're you know people are often several steps ahead of you so i will not be shocked at all if i if i end up being completely wrong <laughs> i could definitely be completely wrong oh yeah i have no idea and maybe like, she's a second red herring yeah. that we're eventually going to be led to think is it and then it'll end up being something else and maybe it's the maid who briefly got mentioned who wasn't given a name you know what i mean like who knows yeah or this guy she's playing tennis with at one point and like because yeah right at this last chapter we get introduced to some politicians and stuff maybe it was a political hit who knows there's a lot of options on the table. I'm just saying if I had to put money, that's where my money goes. But I certainly am not certain that that's where it is. Yeah, I like that for sure. Okay, cool, man. I think uh, I think that's it. I, I mean, we, 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 uh, we tried this new format out. If you liked it, definitely let us know because this is something we, we might consider doing for future projects, especially if time's an issue and we can't get into everything. Um, I still felt like we were able to talk about all the major points we wanted to talk about. So yeah. if you enjoyed this format, uh, reach out to us, uh, inktofilm at gmail.com. You, uh, you can email us with any feedback. You also can just tell us um, general feedback about this book. If you've read it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're, you know, because we don't spoil anything in the second half, I guess is our one request because we're going to be reading that. But we'd love to hear We'd love to hear from you and, and, and let us know that we're covering something that you, you have read and are interested in. Yeah, definitely. And if you want to reach out in any other way, we are on Twitter, facebook instagram at ink to film on all those um send us messages about the podcast theories that you guys have if you're uh, following along with us we're pretty active on there so anything you want to send our way go ahead and do it yeah please do uh also speaking of social media on facebook you can leave us reviews on our on our uh, podcast page um but you also can leave reviews on itunes or wherever you download this podcast and if you were to do that is a huge help for us can help us go uh continue to grow help us keep going and uh you can leave us a review like this one which comes from our facebook page uh five stars from, from alex luke and james do a great job of unpacking the books and films that are paired in each series of podcasts this was something that I've always looked for in a podcast in the podcast world and could never find anything that quite matched it. Give them a try. So listen to Alex. Give us a try. <laughs> you know, give us a <laughs> thanks, review. Uh, thanks a lot, Alex. We also want to say thank you to Audible for giving us our affiliate link. It's again, audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And that'll give you 30 free days to Audible and you can get a free credit for any audiobook in their collection. Yeah, and if you've listened this long and you're you haven't read this book, use it on this one because uh, hopefully we've convinced you by now that this is a book you should check out. Yeah, it's really fun so far. We also wanted to say thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with the second half of this novel. Uh, look forward to it. Uh, until then, I'm Luke and I'm James. See ya.